morning. That was, that was decent. That was like a halfway morning. Good morning. There we go. My name's John, one of the pastors here. Excited to have you join us here at Greenhouse. We love Jesus. We're coming from different backgrounds, culturally, religiously, socioeconomically, but we love Jesus. That is the thread that ties us together. Connor, it's good to see you. I love you, man. Hey, we're talking, sorry, a little bit ADD there, but I'm back. We are in the midst of a series called Silent Killers. Everybody say Silent Killers. Silent killers. It sounds ominous when it comes to the body, when it comes to health. We're talking about things like hypertension and cholesterol and diabetes. But in this series, we're hitting on the holistic nature of humanity. We are not just body, but we're mind, soul, and spirit. And so in this series, we are talking about the silent killers of the spirit and the soul. Last week, we talked about the silent killer of greed. We talked about the tension of the fact that we live in a world, we live in a culture in which greed is applauded as a value, which makes it deceptively dangerous to you and I. We talked through Jesus' call to be rich towards God about constructing guardrails against greed. If you missed it, highly encourage you to check it out on our podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast from, or our YouTube channel, search Greenhouse South Florida, and you will find it there. This week, I want to sort of continue in that trajectory, talking about what happens when greed hits our relationships. So if you stand with me to your feet, as we get ready to read and honor God's word together, you can flip to the book of Proverbs chapter 14, football season is upon us. Not that it matters, but the Florida Gators continue to win. The Miami Hurricanes made us all a little bit nervous, but they won the game and they caught a cat. Anybody see that? That was bizarre. So apparently that happened. A cat literally fell from the stadium and was caught in an American flag. I don't know if there's a more like potent, I'm a little mixed about the cat part of it, but it was a really heartwarming story if you're into that sort of cat thing. Um, And the Florida State Seminoles, I'm just going to leave that one there. All right, Proverbs 14, if you're ready, say preach preacher. I'm a talk bad guy. So the louder you talk, the shorter I'll preach, all right? Say Amen. I got real motivated there. I don't know how I feel, but I'll take it. All right, Proverbs 14, verse 30. This is one verse, so I'm I'm, going to pull a a page out of my late father, Rabbi Neal's book. He was the read-along-with-me guy, so I'm going to have you read along with me, okay? All right, read it with me on the screen. Proverbs 14, 30. It's only one verse. Here we go. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Let's read it again. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. To the flesh, but envy makes it read it like you mean it. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. How many of you would like rotted bones? Does not sound like a vision for your life. This morning, I want to talk about the silent killer of envy, and I believe that if we are willing to bring our hearts to him, he is able and wanting to bring some freedom this morning. Does that sound sound good to anybody besides myself? Jesus, come and do your thing. Amen. Turn your neighbor, give him a high five, a fist bump, an air high five, you do you while you find your seats. Online, you can do the same or type yo in the chat. You ever struggled, you're like, yes. You ever struggled with feeling inadequate? Ever struggled with feelings of inadequacy? I remember 
Several years ago, we had our annual GLC. It's the Greenhouse Leadership Conference. It's actually coming up at the end of October. You're welcome to join for anyone that has a desire to grow in their leadership at home, in your job, over your own self. You're welcome to join us in Gainesville. But I remember it was several years ago at the GLC, and I got invited to speak on a panel. I was honored. I was excited. There were several pastors and ministry leaders that I knew and a few that I did not know. And so they asked us the question. They said, hey, we want to talk about how to endure through hardship." It had been a a challenging season for me personally, and so we kind of went down the row person by person. We were sharing about our own personal journeys enduring hardship. We were sharing Bible verses, and so I shared my heart about, you know, what I was trying to do, and and, and it was very, um, from the group, it was was real, and it was raw, and it was vulnerable, and it was beautiful, and, and we were just trying to share our story, and I remember that after I shared, there was a gentleman next to me. He was a pastor from West Africa that I did not know. And so I shared my little anecdote about enduring hardship. And then he got up and said, I remember the last time that the warlords kidnapped me. And they held a gun to my head. And I just, I, I just looked, I was like, that was my next story. I mean, that was, what I was going to say the next time. And I just remember sitting there and literally by the end of his story, we all just walked off the stage. I was like, let's listen to this guy. Cause we'd all like, I, I don't know what I've got here. I mean, this dude was like, he was like a spiritual super saiyan. I was like, this guy is like, he's like a Marvel superhero on Jesus. I mean, it was incredible. And I was reminded of why I'm so thankful the body of Christ is not just American or North American. I'm like, thank God for the family of God around the world. It was absolutely Amazing. And in that scenario, feeling inadequate, I think is actually pretty fair. Like, I'm like, why am I talking about suffering? I, we got like, you know, first world problems. Let, let's let our brothers share. But, but we've all felt it. We, we've all felt this, this creeping, sinking, horrible feeling of, of inadequacy. Like we don't measure up. Like we don't have what it takes. Like we're not enough. And and it's not just an American thing. It's not even just a North American thing. It seems to have affected and infected all of humanity. When we look across the globe spanning cultures and continents, we as human beings have a chronic human condition of inadequacy. We feel so inadequate. And so we're introduced to this proverb that that a tranquil heart, a heart that's at rest, and I'll break down what exactly that even means, but a tranquil heart, it gives life to the body. It gives life to the flesh. But the problem is that when you feel inadequate, your heart is never at rest. You never have a tranquil heart. Now, we live in a moment culturally that that exacerbates and compounds this issue. We live in a culture obsessed with competition, We live in a culture obsessed with competing with others' perceived statuses and successes. And then we get social media that throws everybody's highlight reels. Let's make that abundantly clear. That throws everybody's highlight reels smack dab in our face, front and center, every moment of every day. And the way is paved for envy to do its work. If we talked about greed last week and we said that greed is an endless, selfish longing for more, more than God has allotted to you, more than God has decided. If greed is longing for more, then envy is longing for someone else's more. 
What envy does is it convinces us that, that it's never enough. Or for being a little bit more honest and circumspect, envy convinces us that we are not enough. And envy brings the death and destruction of greed into our relationships. And if greed brings a poison focused on stuff, envy brings a poison that destroys, well, often the very people that we, that we love. As a result of envy, there's people abundantly blessed, but they don't feel blessed. And there's people that have the grace of God up in their lives, but they don't feel very graced. And there's people with amazing families and amazing lives and who can only see what they don't have because of envy. Envy gets you to where you desperately long and crave for something else, to be something else or to be someone else where you crave to be more than you currently are, that God in his divine sovereignty has decided. And scripture makes clear that envy leads to a crushed bone and a wasted life. I've got one big idea if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down on your cell phone or on your piece of paper or whatever you got with you. Here's the big idea and we'll dive into it. And it's plagiarism, all right? I'm just gonna tell you up front, I stole it from God. It's just the Bible verse. A tranquil heart gives life, but envy rots the bones. A tranquil heart gives life, but envy rots the bones. Let's dive into this thing. One of the problems with envy, and it's it's an interesting reality because who wants to admit that they're envious? Who wants to admit that they're jealous? Who wants to admit that they're insecure? But we are. And there's so many things to be envious about. There's, there's promotion, and I got a picture up on the screen here of a bunch of different things. There's, there's promotion, and there's status. There's that house, and there's that car. There's that spouse, or that lack of spouse. There's that, there's that girlfriend that's in your microchurch that got married, and you're like, praise God for you. That's so good. I've been at 14 weddings, and I haven't been a part of any, and none of them are mine, but praise the Lord for you. That's so good, and And we get envious of family, and we get envious of people's kids. We get envious of people that don't have kids, if we're being a little bit more honest. And we get envious of that awesome vacation on social media. Who We don't even know if it was actually real or if they even went on that vacation, but the picture looked awesome. We get envious of that friend who has the perfect job, because every job is perfect on social media. There's no problems in any job, right? And it's tempting to think that envy is something new, but it's not new. In fact, envy is ancient. I was looking back through the scriptures and and stunned at how many lives were ruined in scripture through envy. How many relationships were destroyed in the Bible through envy. Jacob and Esau, Cain and Abel, Rachel and Leah, King Saul, but I wanted to camp on one story in particular to use as an operating metaphor for our time together this morning, and that's the story of Joseph. Now, 
give me a little sense here. How many of you have seen the movie The Prince of Egypt? Anybody seen? All right, so we're more or less on the same page here. This comes from the Bible. This is a story of Joseph. He was indeed the Prince of Egypt, but Joseph's life was pretty crazy. If you'd like to read up on this later, we're, we're talking like Genesis 37, runs through the end of Genesis, sort of beginning of Exodus there. But Joseph, uh, his father had 12 sons. And Joseph at the time was the youngest son when the story picks up. And, and so Joseph's father had a favorite. Joseph's father, in fact, not only had a favorite, but made very clear who the favorite was. Some of y'all are like, I'm already getting PTSD, Pastor John. This is hitting too close to home, all right, go on. Joseph's father, Jacob, he had a favorite, and his favorite was Joseph. And his brothers began with frustration they began with a little bit of side eye, like, man, why, 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 is he always, why is he always, Joseph got this, this brand new coat, this coat of many colors, and his father gave it to him, and everyone was frustrated, and, and, and Joseph's brothers, they begin with, with envy. See, sibling envy is very real. Can I get an amen? It's in the biological family. It's in the family of God. Joseph is the youngest, and he gets the coat. And the brothers are like, man, that's not fair. And Joseph is the youngest, and he gets favor from his father. And the brothers are like, man, that's not fair. Because the favor of God is often going to mean the envy of men. I'll leave that one there. And greed turns relationally into envy. Let me just go ahead and, and cooperate with what I hope the Holy Spirit is, is doing in this moment. If you watched or joined last week and God hits you when it comes to greed, I can guarantee you that greed is, uh, that envy is at work as well because greed and envy work in tandem. The early church fathers said it like this. They said, if, if pride is the principal sin of humanity, envy is its twin brother. They work in tandem. Envy is this unchecked craving for more. People start out as friends. In Joseph's context, they started out as brothers and they, as a result of envy, they go from friends to competition and eventually to enemy because you cannot love those you envy. This is powerful. I need us to see what's at stake when it comes to our relationships because if it can affect families, and you'll hear how it affected this family, it can affect all of the relationships that matter most to us. You cannot love those you envy. We see it play out in Joseph's story. Joseph's brothers, they, they begin to resent him they end up in a full-blown envy, man. Why, why is he getting this, this special privileges from dad? And why is he getting, dad, this isn't fair, and I've, I've, I'm the oldest, and I'm, and, and so they end up selling their brother Joseph into human trafficking. Some of y'all are like, man, my family's dysfunctional, but we have never done that, Pastor John. Some of y'all are like, I'm feeling a little better about my family of origin now, because we're, we're a bit ratchet, but we're not like that. We, we haven't sold anybody. Like, we've never done that, right? They literally, they were going to murder him, and they're like, you know what? Instead of murdering him, that's kind of messy. Let's just sell him into slavery. This is Bible. This is like really what happened. True story. They sell him into slavery. Joseph goes into slavery. He ends up getting sold in Egypt to this guy Potiphar, who has a, a position in the Egyptian government, and Joseph I mean, mind-blowingly, you need to read this story sometime if you haven't already or refresh through it this week. Joseph gets, I mean, sold into slavery by his brothers wrongfully, and he just has this, well, what he has is a tranquil heart, and he flourishes, 
any environment Joseph gets placed in, the buddy flourishes. He's in Potiphar's house. He's been sold as a slave, and he works faithfully, and he's got a joyful heart, and he's faithful in what he does. And eventually, he rises to a place, you remember this, of prominence. He's like over Potiphar's entire house. This foreign traffic victim, Joseph. And you're like, finally, it turned out good. And then Delilah comes back. Then Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph. She's like, hey, big boy. I don't know if that's what she said, but that's how it sounds in my head. And she tries to seduce Joseph over and over and over again. He's not having it. And then finally she like grabs a hold of his cloak one day and she's like, come on. And he runs, I mean, he runs out, leaves his clothes in her hands. It's kind of awkward. This is the Bible story, like from the text. Runs out and she wrongfully, she lies about this guy. She says, oh, he, he tried to seduce me. Look, I have his cloak. And Joseph, after being trafficked and sold in slavery, gets thrown in prison. How many of y'all right there are like, and that's the end of my godliness. Like, I'm just like. And in prison, he flourishes and thrives. And in prison, he gets elevated. And, in and ultimately, God does incredible things in the life of Joseph, raising him up to be Pharaoh's right-hand guy, like he was Potiphar's right-hand guy, like he was his dad's right-hand guy. He just continues to flourish and to flourish. And I, can't, I could not escape this throughout all the craziness of Joseph's life. You talk about struggle and hardship. Some of you are like, man, Pastor John, if you knew my drama, go ahead and talk to Joseph about drama. And throughout all of it, Joseph flourishes and thrives. And I was stunned looking back through this story, prompted to share this as our metaphor this morning, because Joseph lived a more full life as a human trafficking, wrongly accused prisoner than his brothers did running free. How? Because Joseph had a tranquil heart. All his brothers, ruled by envy, rotted in their bones. A tranquil heart gives life, but envy rots the bones. Remind your neighbor, tell him a tranquil heart gives life, but envy rots the bones. Now, don't miss this. A tranquil heart gives life, but envy rots what? Say it again. Envy rots. How many of you can see your bones right now? Right, that'd be awkward. We'd be like, call the ambulance because that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be, right? And this is important. Solomon, the wisest human to ever walk outside of Jesus, the God man, Solomon said, envy rots the bones. Meaning what? Meaning you don't see it at first. Meaning everything seems okay. Meaning everything seems right. It doesn't say that envy rots the flesh. It doesn't say envy rots the skin. Envy is not leprosy that infects the skin. Envy rots the bones. Like the gospel on the flip side, envy works from the inside out, meaning you cannot see it even doing its destructive work until you sell your brother into human trafficking. I th think about the level of decay that was happening internally for his biological brothers. If you talk about East, ancient Eastern culture, family blood is life, literally. That's how you survive. To get to that point is some serious darkness and dysfunction. How in the world? Because envy rots the bones. So how do we avoid the bone-rotting power of envy? It's... It's what it says in Proverbs, it's a tranquil heart. 
It says a tranquil heart gives life, but envy rots the bones. A tranquil heart, it gives life to the flesh, life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Scripture tells us the tranquil heart is the antidote for the bone-rotting power of envy. You're like, Pastor John, what is a tranquil heart? I don't, I've never used that word in my entire human life. Let me give you a definition. Jot this down. This is going to be helpful, I hope. To have a tranquil heart means three things. It means you are thankful for your past. You are content in your present. And you are hopeful about your future. A tranquil heart means you're thankful for your past, you're content in your present, and you're hopeful for your future. Let me dive into these three. The first one, it begins with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with being thankful for my past. Romans 1, Paul unpacks what happens when humans drift from God, what happens when humans are separated from God, what happens to a human heart where we get stuck in sin. Verse 21 of Romans 1, it says, For although they, humanity, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor, what does it say here, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I, I, I never saw this before in this way. It, it says that one of the contributing factors to humanity's fallenness from God, and in, in particular he's talking in the context here in Romans, is that they did not give thanks. I need you to understand something. When we do not give thanks, our minds become futile. Our foolish hearts, Paul says, get darkened. On the flip side, if a failure to be thankful, if a failure to be grateful darkens your mind, gratitude helps open your mind and open your eyes. What gratitude does, and we, David was a genius at this, by the way, in the Psalms. David went all sorts of raw and, and prayed some crazy prayers, but he seemed to be able to step back and, 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 and look 30,000 feet with gratitude. See, when you are thankful, it gives you the full picture. If you're looking for problems in life, how many, how many of you know you're going to find problems in life? You're, you're always going to find them. But, but if you're looking for things to be grateful for, guess what you're going to find? Things to be grateful for. Uh, a thankful heart, a, a tranquil heart, it gives life this gratitude. It allows you to step back and see the full picture. And you realize, wait a second, I, I know this, my current minutia moment is legitimately bad, challenging, hard, heartbreaking. But God has been faithful. But, but, but no, 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 I, I know my current moment is bad, but God has provided. I, I know my current situation might, might seem hopeless, but God has been near. God has come through. A thankful heart lets us see the picture more clearly and accurately. It's a first stop in a tranquil heart. A tranquil heart means being thankful for my past, and number two, it means being content in my present. How many of you used to like the Ninja Turtles? How many of you still like the Ninja Turtles? Let's just be honest, okay? One time for the Ninja Turtle fans. Um, growing up, I don't know where, how I remember this story, but I remember in elementary school, I really liked the Ninja Turtles. My friends liked the Ninja Turtles. And, and so I was like, I was all into them and I wanted this Ninja Turtle lunchbox. Anybody have Ninja Turtle swag early on, still now? I, I wanted this Ninja Turtle lunchbox so bad. And I thought Michelangelo was my favorite because he was a party dude and he liked pizza and he was fun. Um, so I liked Michelangelo. I wanted this Ninja Turtle lunchbox so bad. And I begged my mom and dad and they would all, and then they were merciful and they got me the Ninja Turtle lunchbox. Do you remember the Ninja Turtle lunchbox? She remembers the Ninja Turtle lunchbox. All right, it's a true story for like, is Pastor John make these up? I don't think so, but you know, at least not this one. 
And so I got the Ninja Turtle lunchbox, and I remember the first day of school, I was like, oh, I felt so cool, my Ninja Turtle lunchbox. And I went into school, and my friend who liked the Ninja Turtles, he also had a Ninja Turtle lunchbox, but his was blue. And mine was green. And all of a sudden, I didn't like my Ninja Turtle lunchbox. Because like Liam, blue is my favorite color. And I wanted the blue Ninja Turtle lunchbox. And I was like, why did my mom and dad not get They don't love me like they should. And we laugh, right? Because we're like, that's so foolish, Pastor John. So let's swap out lunchbox for car. Let's swap out lunchbox for house. Let's swap out lunchbox for title. Let's swap out lunchbox for promotion because we really don't change that much. But there's a secret. Biblically, there is a remedy for bone rot and it's called contentment. Check out what Paul has to say. Philippians 4, he says, he's telling them basically, hey, thank you so much for being generous, church in Philippi. You guys are amazing. This is incredible. And he says, listen, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Check this. For I have, what does it say? All three of y'all. For I have learned to be content. He says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry in plenty or in want. And then he utters the famous words that we appropriate in all sorts of very American ways. I can do all things. That's how we use it, right? In our culture, I'm gonna get that promotion because I can do all things through Christ. I'm gonna get that vehicle because I can do all things through Christ. Paul's like, if I got no money, I'm good because I can do all things through Christ. Isn't it interesting how we contextualize based on culture? Paul says, I have learned to be content. It's actually a skill. In fact, he goes further than that. He says, I have learned the secret you're like, man, what's up? what's up with our world? Like the norm is to crave, the norm is greed. The norm is envy. The norm is lust for stuff and more and craving. Yes, because that's how we're hardwired in the brokenness of sin. We actually have to learn the opposite. See, we're not hardwired in our broken frame with contentment. We have to learn. And here's what's at stake. When you do not have contentment, when you are not able to operate in contentment, you miss the joy of the moment. You miss the beauty of the snacks prepared in your green Ninja Turtle lunchbox. It's crazy. You want to roll with the analogy? It's like, I don't know what my friend's mom packs for him, and I probably won't like it because my loving mom's got the stuff that she knows I like. But we forget about all that. Envy causes us to neglect the gift and the calling of God on our lives because we are so focused on the gift of God in someone else's life. I'm going to say that one again. Envy causes us to neglect the gift and the calling of God on our life because we are so focused on the gift of God in someone else's life. Proverbs says it like this. It says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better is a little with the fear of God, with, with God in the center, than, than great wealth with turmoil or strife. I was remembering Nancy and I had a couple over from microchurch. We were having dinner together, and 
And we were talking about date night. It's something that Nancy and I have done every single week since before we got married and we're now 10 plus years in. And so, and, and so we were recounting like, man, that's crazy. And it's like, you know, we didn't, uh, when we first got married, um, I was working a beginning nonprofit job and Nancy was a college student. Y'all, we were broke, broke. I mean, here was our date night. We were committed though. We're like, man, we're gonna, our date nights, when we first got married, we would go to Arby's. Some of you are like, oh man, it's already not starting well, right? We would get fast food, and we would get a Jamocha shake. How many of you have had a Jamocha shake? I'm gonna bless you right now. Okay, it's coffee meets mocha in a milkshake. You need to get you a Jamocha shake right now. Arby's, if you wanna give me some free ones, I will take it. And so we would go, but here's the thing. We, ha- we did not have money, and so we would not just have a Jamocha shake. We would split a Jamocha shake. That's, how, that's where it was at. That was our date night budget. It's like we could go to Arby's and sit outside, and we can split one Jamocha shake. And to this day, those were some of the best date nights because we were content. We were with one another. We were so excited to be together on the journey of life. The Jamocha shake was good and the company was even better. And I'm thinking back, I'm like, man, it's so true. Better is a little with God's peace, with God's presence, with contentment than a whole bunch with all the drama that it brings. But we really get convinced that that's not true. See, here's the problem with envy. Envy keeps you from joy. Envy prohibits you from enjoying what God has given you now. And it does not just affect our stuff, and it does not just affect our relationships with others. It actually affects our self-concept and our relationship with with ourselves. It affects and it infects our identity. Envy gets you feeling like not only do you not have enough, but it gets you feeling like you are not enough. When the point all along is that God is enough. Envy gets you convinced that, that you, you, you're not sufficient. You don't have what it takes. When the point all along is that God is your sufficiency. And as I spent time, yeah, this is good. This is very liberating news. And, and, and as I spent time praying and preparing for this morning, I, I felt like I was supposed to speak. And I'm even praying that you'd hear it prophetically from God's, the Father in heaven himself. That I'm supposed to remind some of you this morning Maybe you're online, maybe you're here in the room. And I wanna say something directly to your soul right now. With Jesus, you are enough. With Jesus, you are enough. Your family, your job, your status, your skill set, your intelligence, with Jesus, you are enough. You are smart enough, you are cared for enough, you are loved enough, you have enough, because with Jesus, you are enough. A tranquil heart, it gives life, but envy rots the bones. A tranquil heart, it's thankful for the past, it's content in my present, and finally, number three, it is hopeful about my future. How many of you would like a little bit of hope in this season? It is hopeful about my future. For those of you parents, you know it's pretty amazing what a little hopeful anticipation can do in parenting. Our son Liam, I've talked about him, he's five years old, and, um, and he's watching from home right now, so hey buddy, good to see you. And um, Liam just, he, he loves uh, he, and he thrives when we give him a vision for the future. And so I, I, I was this week in New York City doing a pastor's conference. And so I was there. And, and so I know at this point to, to help my wife out. I'm like, hey, buddy, if you behave good for mom, when I come back, 
I'm gonna give you a surprise. I don't know what the surprise is in the moment, but I'll figure something out. And he's like, okay, dad, okay, dad. And he, and he just gets so excited. And so I, I like find random stuff. I think I got him like Dunkaroos this time. I was like, remember these from a kid? They were so cool at a gas station, but he loved it. And, um, and so I get home, I picked him up from school and I was like, hey buddy, what's going on? He gives me a big hug. First thing, guess what the first thing he asks? Dad, do you have my surprise? I'm like, you little cute kid. Such a materialistic individual. Do you have my surprise? I was like, buddy, I got your surprise in the car. He's like, okay. I said, but first, how'd you behave for mom? He's like, I behaved awesome. At this point, I'm not a rookie, so I was like texting Nancy, how did Liam behave? Should he get his surprise now? She was like, John, he did great. He did awesome. He really did. And I've learned with Liam, if he can have a hopeful anticipation for the future, he always does better in the present. That'll preach. If he can get a hopeful vision for the future, it actually helps him to live better in the present. How many of you know that's not just Liam, that's me? That's us. That's how we're wired. Yeah. We do best in the present when we have hope for the future. The problem is this world is brutal and people are savage. And it's very easy to lose sight of the future. Look at what David says in the Psalms. He says, don't fret or don't worry because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Instead, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. He will do this. He will make your righteousness and reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. David is saying, listen, ah, he says it throughout the Psalms. He says, man, why are the wicked flourishing? Why are these people who do evil prospering? And, and he's reminding his soul here, wait, 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 wait a second. There is a God in heaven who sees everything and God will make it right. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. You're like, Pastor John, it hasn't happened yet. That's the operating word, yet. It's simply a yet. And when we're not hopeful for our future, when we're not able to, to base our lives and our expectation on the foundation and the truth of God's promises and God's word, we move into competition mode. We get into this crazy mindset that if you really step back and dissect it, it makes no sense at all. But we get into the space where people that were supposed to be faith family, church family, microchurch family, where people that were friends or acquaintances or classmates or coworkers, all of a sudden they go from all those things to competition because we're convinced, man, if they can get the thing, if they can get the deal, if they can get the promotion, if they can get the whatever it is that you're desiring, then I won't get it. And we actually believe in a crazy way that God is up in heaven and doesn't have enough slices of pie to, put, to pass around. Like God's only got eight inch like pecan pie because that's the pie from heaven is pecan pie in case you were wondering. Like God's only got any pecan pie, no, sweet potato pie, pumpkin pie. Now I'm hungry. Okay, let's stop talking about pie. We're like, man, well, God's only got this, this small little pie and once he passes out the slices of heavenly blessing, there's not gonna be any left for me. It's like, how, how poor do you think God is? He's got a bakery up there. He's got no struggle at all. But envy gets us thinking crazy things. Well, if they're doing well, then I can't do well. Why? Right? 
Envy gets us to think in these crazy ways that are so illogical and unbiblical and self-defeating, but we get stuck. How do you know, Pastor John? Because I was stuck. In this series, it's it's an interesting one because we're talking about some, some deep heart stuff, man. And no one wants to admit that they're stuck in envy. So I'll admit, I was stuck in envy. My junior year of college, I hit a rut where I just went around in circles for an entire year because I was trapped in my own soul. I had a guy who had discipled me and he was amazing and he was great and he was incredible and he was so good with people and he was so great in all these different ways and I knew it and, and everybody knew it and I got to this point where I felt like, well, man, I've, I've got nothing to bring to the table because this guy's so incredible and I'm a, and I'm a, I'm a nobody because this guy's so amazing and I, and I got into this really dark horrible, illogical mindset and insecurity gave way to jealousy and jealousy moved into envy and I finally landed myself in a, in a summer internship program at the church up in Gainesville and I was going through and I got confronted like a mirror by God with my own heart and it was nasty. And I spent an entire summer just lay, literally laying on the carpet during worship environments, not crying into it. It was not my shining moment, but maybe it was. And I was like, Lord, I just want you to change me. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to think about people like this. I don't want to think about myself like this. God, I know it's wrong. Like, help me out. Change me. Move me. And as I, as I started thinking about this morning... I know that every bit of us, especially if you have this struggle and if you feel like you've been trapped in the comparison trap, every bit of you realizes it and wants to push it off and pretend it's not there at the same time. We were praying this morning and and I got a picture very clear in my mind and I think it was the Lord. And it was a picture of, of this heart surgeon with all the tools ready to do heart surgery. And there was all these people out front but but no one would check themselves in. And I felt like the Lord said, John, I'm ready to do the surgery. I'm ready to set people free. I'm ready to bring freedom from this comparison trap and, and this trap of envy and jealousy and feeling about people that the ways that they, we don't wanna feel about people, but we can't know how to change it. But, but I don't force surgery on anyone. They have to check themselves in. If you wanna have hope for your future, check yourself in. If you want to have hope for your future, here's a tangible one. Get out of the rat race. The race is rigged. Have we realized that yet? Like, the rat race is rigged. Nobody wins that. Nobody wins that. If you want to have hope for your future, it begins with redefining your success. Here's what it looked like for me. Here's what it looked like. I know I'm like Pastor John. I'm just John. I'm I'm a human who's called to be a pastor right now. Here's what it looked like for me. I realized that my definition of success was based on externals and competition with others which you never win, because guess what? As soon as you get past the person that you were chasing before, guess who's in front of you? Somebody else, right? You never win. I realized I needed to change biblically my definition of success. Here's what my definition of success began. Success is found in faithful obedience to God's call on your life. Yes, this is good. This is liberating. This is great news. Success is found in faithful obedience to God's call on your life. Well, what about my neighbor? I don't know God's call on their life. Well, what, what this person's so amazing. I don't know what God's call is on their life. But this person, it doesn't matter. What has God called you to do? Then be faithful to that, and you'll be successful. 
That Pastor John, how, how much money, how, how much success, how much influence, how much clout should I have? I don't know, as much as God knows you can handle. This is the danger of envy. Envy has us wishing for someone else's call, for someone else's stuff, for someone else's identity, which could be the very thing that God knows will tank you if you get it so he hasn't given it to you because he loves you. And we're envying the very thing that's gonna bring about our destruction and God forbid we actually go after it in our own power and get it. Envy rots the bones. And a tranquil heart looks with hope to the future, trusting that Heavenly Father knows what you need. It's trusting Heavenly Father with your future, that he has the best plan, the best design, the best future planned. If you find yourself this week struggling with envy, here's what I'd love for you to do. Do the tranquil heart test. Are you thankful for your past? Are you content in your present? And are you hopeful about your future? Run the test through this week. Take a picture of it right now on your phone. You're like, what exactly was that? Snap a picture on your phone. Run yourself through it in your time with God when you're there with the Holy Spirit. Am I thankful for my past? Am I content in my present? Do I have hope for my future? Maybe you're like, Pastor John, I did it and I failed the test. Here's, here's one real tangible thing that helped get me on a path to freedom. Start with praying, blessing daily for those you are tempted to compete with. That'll get you. You're like, God bless. You can't even get the words out at first. You're like, I don't want it because you're going to answer my prayers because I know it's what you do. And you're forced to remember, well, they're not my competition. You love them. I, I love them. What am I doing? Start defining success in the right way. It's faithful obedience to your call. Not anybody else's call. Your call. I'm gonna close here in a moment and we'll sing a final song if the worship team wants to come up. You're like, Pastor John, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I believe it. I, I believe all of this. I really do. Amen. It's, it's good, but... I feel stuck. I feel trapped. I, I don't really even talk to anybody about it, but I sit there and I do doom scrolling on social media and I just feel worse and worse and worse and worse about myself and I don't know how to get out. And I judge people and I judge myself on my own worst enemy and I'm trapped. And here's the great news you need to hear. Envy is not bigger than Jesus. See, the end of the story for our boy Joe turns out phenomenal. God is going to get Joseph into the palace. God is going to get him into a place of authority. And in fact, God is gonna use him not only to rescue his entire family, but to rescue his entire people group and to ultimately bring about the Messiah. Envy does not win in the story of Joseph, God does. And if you fast forward about 1,500 years, there's this new Joseph that comes on the scene. His name is Jesus. He's the suffering servant. He's gonna suffer on behalf of his countrymen, of his brothers and sisters and bring about redemption. And there's a curious little note that Mark leaves us about what happens to Jesus. It says the crowd comes up. They're getting ready to try to send Jesus to be crucified. The crowd comes up and they begin to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, to release another prisoner. And he says, okay, how about you? I release for you the king of the Jews. Verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of, what does it say? Envy that the chief priest delivered Jesus up. What sent Jesus to die on the cross? Sin. Mm -hmm. What sin? 
envy. Pastor John, I mean, it's, not, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody struggles with this. You're right. And it rots everybody's bones. The thing that Pilate realized was happening with these religious leaders, these Pharisees and these Sadducees. It was not just that they didn't like Jesus' teaching, and it was not that they, were, they, they felt like he was a heretic. At the end of the day, the sin that had gotten deep root in their bones was envy. The Pharisees turned Jesus over out of envy, and yet God was so powerful, he could even take envy and turn it into the redemption of humanity and the salvation of souls. God is not intimidated by envy, this potent, silent killer. And if you're stuck in the comparison trap, if you're in bondage to insecurity and envy, if you'd be humble enough to come and say, man, it's in my heart, Pastor John. If, if it was in your heart, okay, you know, you know, that helps me feel a little more comfortable. It's in my heart too. I don't know what to do. Ask Jesus to set you free. If you're there online, you're like, man, I'm not even here in the room, but I, I feel that. I, I know, I know I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm comparing myself to other people and I'm, and I'm beating myself up and ask Jesus to set you free because he can and he will. And I'm praying this morning that we would invite him in. Let's pray. Jesus, right now we look to you. Lord, I'm asking that, that we would get to a place of, of humble desperation. Lord, for those of us who have felt the rotting power of envy in our bones and in the core of who we are. Jesus, thank you that you can set us free. Thank you that those who the Son sets free are free indeed. Lord, I'm praying that freedom would happen this morning. Give us humble hearts to come to you. keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you're here and you want to place your trust in Jesus, his plan, his words, his affirmation, maybe it's for the first time or for the 91st time. If you know you need to reach out to Jesus and ask him for freedom, for liberation. If you're, if you're here and you're like, man, I, I, I don't want to be stuck in the comparison trap any longer. Friends, the good news is that envy does not have to rule your life anymore. His approval matters most. And when you can get to that place, it will transform your life. And I'm praying that as we close, you'd receive his love, his security, his freedom. So let's close like this. If we could stand to our feet. And if I could have some of our prayer partners up here to line the front. If you're, if you're in need of prayer, we're going to sing this final chorus. And Maybe it's directly correlating with the message. Maybe it's something that happened during worship and you're just, you just wanna, you want someone to agree with you in prayer for a miracle. Whatever God's doing in your heart, we would love to partner with you, encourage you, speak blessings over you and pray with you. And so as soon as we begin to sing, you're welcome to come forward. Let's sing this out together as we close. Who the sun sets free, always free.
is true and we know it. For those of us here that belong to you, we're sons and daughters. You've got a unique and beautiful call on our lives that's deeply individualized. You've got good work prepared in advance for us to walk in. Lord, help us to attach our hearts to your approval, to your path, to your plan, to your definition of success, faithful obedience. God, give us grace. Any way you wanna move in hearts this morning, Lord, we say yes to you, God. Give us the courage to walk in humility, to lay our hearts before you and say, Jesus, do the open heart surgery that only you could do. God, I wanna be whole. I wanna be yours. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people. Lord, bless them, keep them, make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. them. Lord, lift up your countenance upon them and give them your shalom, shalom, perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 